I'd like to read for you a very interesting account. Something that starts out with bright hope and with a great movement, but toward the end she drops off and goes down to quite a low. Listen to this from the 22nd chapter of Matthew. Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding and they would not come. Again he sent forth other servants saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed. All things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither, not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. What could have been a glorious story of a glorious occasion? from start to finish, turned out to be quite the contrary. Those who were invited in the first place made fun of the idea, wouldn't go, and then some of them even slew those who came to tell them that the marriage supper was ready. Then they were destroyed because of their refusal and their dastardly acts. Then an invitation went out to others, and they went out and invited people, not the first-class people, not just the elite and the selected guests, but this time the invitation goes out to the good and the bad. What a universal privilege now. And even among them, here came this one without the wedding garment, and he was cast out into outer darkness. And at the bottom of the list, in verse, last verse I read to you, says 
Many are called, but few are chosen. I think this, this lesson will teach us what this means. God's will is all be saved. The provision is a universal provision. Whosoever will may come. The invitation is out. But to take advantage of the invitation, one must hear it first, must they not? These did. You must. I must. To know that there is a wedding, to know the invitation is out, and to know we're on the guest list, we must be advised. We're advised of that when we hear the gospel preached, when we hear that Jesus Christ died that all might live. When we know the Lord has made this provision, as soon as we hear this, then we've heard it. Sometimes you get invitations to this or that, and you toss them aside. They give you invitations to grand openings. They give you invitations to this and to that, to weddings and things of this nature. Sometimes they're very important because they, they have a, a direct meaning and, and a real meaning to you. So you don't throw that invitation over on the pile somewhere and proceed to forget about it. That one, you, you hear about it, and you think, I'll make a note of this. Now, when is this? What time of day? Where? All right, now we must make some arrangements. We've got to be there. That's what this is when the invitation to come to God comes our way. You must hear it, or you'll never know about it. But you've heard it read, and if you've been to meetings... Here or most anywhere else, very often you've heard that the invitation is out, that the Lord is calling the whosoever will to come. So you've heard that. But have you taken the invitation and tossed it over on the pile? Or have you made careful note that I have been invited? I'm supposed to respond. I, I should be there. Invitations to some of these events, they have a little uh, signal at the bottom that tells you a reply is requested. They'd like to know whether or not you're really coming. So the invitation to be of any value to you must be, you must know about it. You must hear it. You must understand what it is. What am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? When is it? God's invitation is for you. And the time is the immediate. Not sometime two weeks from next Thursday. Not the next week after Christmas. But God's invitation is in the eternal present. God's invitation is for you to listen to the invitation, hear it, understand it, and respond immediately. I woke this morning at around 5.30, half in a dream or something afterwards, and, and after I was uh, awake and understood it's 5.30 and won't be long to, time to get up and get going here, then I, the thought in my mind was that Perhaps when I would preach, people might not understand that the invitation was for them. It was highly possible that people would be here today who would hear the sermon and would just look the other way, shrug it off, act as if nothing mattered, didn't mean them, and that there was no urgency about it. And then I thought, oh God, help me. And I prayed then, God help me to do something and say something that people will realize that this call, the call of God, the invitation God gives, does pertain to you. 
It pertains to everyone, and it pertains to us immediately. These folks had the invitation and should respond immediately. They said, all things are ready now. Come. And they did respond immediately, but in the negative. They, they, did, they didn't go. They said no. Made a light of, the, made a light of it. Yeah. Some people do that. They come to a meeting like this and feel the Spirit of God and literally joke about the fact that, that um, their reaction was what it was. Yeah. This is no joking matter. No. These people did not need to joke, not make light of this, but they did, and they were destroyed. God gave them their invitation, and because they spitefully used and even murdered murdered the people who came to them to invite them. Because they refused with such a vehement attitude, they were destroyed themselves. Because in their hearts they were destroyers. In their heart they would not. God loved them even though they had murder in their hearts. They were capable of these crimes and committed them. You might be capable of more crimes than you know. You might do things you never dream of doing in the heart of that man or woman without God. There lurks the potential for great harm and great crime even. But God sends you an invitation to come out of the shadows, to come out from under that, to come into the light where you can have an invitation to a table spread that you didn't furnish, provisions made you didn't provide. Yes, the invitation goes out, but to know it is not enough. To have heard it is not enough. You must respond, and you must respond in the affirmative. You must make up your mind, yes, I'll take it. Yes, I'll be there. You've read in the Scriptures that the preaching of the gospel to some people foolishness. You've also read, but to them who believe, it is the power of God unto salvation. Preaching is to give you the light. Preaching is to give you the knowledge of this, let you know that you are invited. That's what preaching is for. And then when you know I'm invited and know where you're invited and for what reason the invitation is given, and that is that you might not perish, might not die, but have everlasting life, then you have a responsibility to respond in the affirmative or by your very inaction you're giving a negative answer. Your very inaction, even though you might not rise up and be the one who speaks up and makes fun. You might not make light of the invitation verbally, but by the very fact that you treat it lightly, that you count it as of no immediate importance, that that's making light of it. That's treating it lightly, and that will cause to be imposed upon you the same wrath of God who offers you mercy, offers you life. Then, if you reject it, you incur the judgment, the wrath of God, because life offered and rejected brings forth death, the natural penalty to follow that. We read in the scripture this morning, Brother Green did, about you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. Do you know God quickens a little? That is, he enlightens people a little when they are even brought to the knowledge of the fact that they need God and that there's hope for them, that Jesus Christ loves them and died for them. That's an awakening to a point by God's Spirit, sending his Spirit to quicken you, to Awaken you to let you know a little of what God means toward you and what God will do for you. But the length of this and the depth of this is that these Ephesians were made alive. They were not only convicted, they were converted. 
They were convicted, all right, of their sins. And they saw when the invitation came that they should respond, but they couldn't dress as they had dressed before. Now they must have one of the wedding garments. They couldn't go with the worldly things. That would not go, no. They were going to the king's place. It was a marriage made for the king's son. Amen. So why not? And that same thing pertains to us when the invitation the Lord gives us comes and we are aware of what it is and respond, then we, of course, must leave all the sin behind. Amen. A holy God has called us to a holy cause and for a holy purpose and to use us to enlighten other people and bring them to the feast also. So we must of necessity leave all of the world and all the sins and the folly of that behind. But even before you're converted, you're quickened enough. And you are awakened enough to understand that sin will cause your death. If you reject, you'll perish. If you go on without responding affirmatively, to that invitation God gives you. If you go on your neg negative attitudes, that's just, just saying, no, not now, some other time, that will harden and harden, and soon, soon you'll be set, and after a while you'll feel no conviction, really, for your sins. You know what conviction is? It's more than knowledge. The little boy knows he oughtn't to do wrong. His mom and dad have already told him what he should not do and what he should do. But all of us, being boys once, Remember all too well that sometimes we, we uh, disobeyed. Knowledge didn't keep us, did it? But after our dads or mothers convinced us, sometimes rather arbitrarily on their part, did what they thought should be done for the moment, after that we were convicted. In our own minds we thought, it's better for me not to do it again. We had the knowledge before and now we know it in our heart. We learn now that we should respond affirmatively to what mom and dad says. When God says that to us now, if we've learned the hard way, if we've been ch chastened and chastised, even had, had to endure great privations or great troubles because of our doings, why not do like the little boy and just say, if I knew before, I had the knowledge, but I'm convicted now, I feel God quickening me. I feel an awakening in my, in my spirit. I feel something within me that begins to stir. There's something that tells me this is right and I ought to do this. That's conviction. You can't explain it. Oh, the word conviction, we know what it means when you talk about going to a courtroom and the judge pronounces sentence and you're convicted, you're guilty. That's conviction handed down. We're talking about conviction of the heart, conviction in one's own spirit. What, that certain feeling there that you know the Lord is in mercy is calling you and he's calling you as one of his own. Amen. God calls, yes. but so few are chosen. What makes the difference? The responses. If God recalls everyone, if he wills no one to be lost, and he doesn't, he doesn't want anyone to be judged eternally, he's made a provision for us to be judged in Jesus Christ and to be free and to, be, and to live forever. God has provided all of this, and if this is true, then we have an obligation to respond to that and to follow the leadings and the guidings God would give us so that we wouldn't be judged eternally. Conviction on this part brings that sudden awareness. That's, that's something there. You've been awakened sometime, somehow, the same way. I have. Maybe not so startling, maybe not a voice speaking to you, 
Maybe no one pointing out your sins to you or hitting you over the head. You may have not been in jail. You may have not been called to task for what you've uh, any sin you've ever committed in your life. You might be totally free of that. Maybe people don't know, but that's that still small voice that convicts you. That's that quickening. That's the Holy Spirit showing you and giving you that urge to respond to the invitation. So many, though, stop at that knowing process. They come to church and they get the knowledge. The preacher preaches, ye must be born again. So they got that down. They know that. They read about Nicodemus and they got the whole story. Easy that. So I know all about it. Yes, you must be born again. They hear that. But knowing is not obtaining it, is it? Even being convicted. If you know about salvation and you say, my sins are condemning me. So I'll stop this one and I'll stop that one. I'll straighten up a bit. And but for those few little ones that don't matter to me and I don't feel condemned about. And I'll just not say anything about that. I'll go on. But I, I leave those bad ones alone because I found already that they're very, very disastrous and the effects of that can ruin me. That's conviction. Many people stop there. If you doubt this, you, you can join many churches just by knowing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. If you'll say that, say, yes, I believe he's the Son of God. Believing on him, just saying verbally, yes, I believe on him as the Savior and I accept him as my Christ, as my Savior. That will give you full rights to membership. That's knowledge. The other one is conviction that one, one gets. They are stirred. They might even pray once. They might even pray twice. They might be around for a while. But, but they never really get through that. They, 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 still, they still have the tiger within them there that dominates their life. And they, they only keep themselves when no one's watching. They sin out of sight, and their sin to maybe not even be known to their own husband or their own wife. Who, who knows? That one's living under conviction. They've been convicted, and the Holy Spirit convicted them, so they stopped this sin. They stopped that sin. They changed their pattern of living. They lived in a different place. They went to different places now, so they're respectable. They quit their sins, so they joined the church. That's conviction. We're talking about that next step, which is conversion. To know it. Fine, you must. Yes. To be convicted, there's no other way to come. Right. Jesus said, unless my Father draw them, no man can come to me. Jesus himself, who said, everyone that thirsteth, come ye. Jesus, who died that we might live, who made a provision for all mankind, he said, no man can come to me except my Father draw him. Amen. So you must know, then you must have the conviction to act upon that. You must say, it's time, it's, it's for me, and I must do it now. Then you act upon that, and you come and surrender your will. Surrender your life. Amen. Pray to God. Ask forgiveness, truly repenting, and you'll find mercy, and you'll know that you are converted. Amen. You'll know what it means then to have mercy, to have God's love, to feel it, enjoy it, know about it, have it for your own. That, that's being chosen. So many are called, many are called, but few are chosen because they only come the first step, maybe even the second, might try again and again on number one or number two, who knows. But God knows, God knows the hearts, and God wants you to be among those who are chosen. Not just called, but chosen. And you will be chosen if you'll choose to be chosen. Now, we don't call ourselves, God calls us. Someone testified here Tuesday or Friday night. And in, the, in their testimony, they said, 
I am so glad that God called me. I am so glad that God called me, they said. Amen. Sounds so usual around here. But it isn't the usual thing. You should be thankful that God called you too. Many don't, don't feel it. People harden their hearts or stiffen their neck or disregard the invitation so long that they feel nothing. We see them at the altar. We see them coming to pray and there's dry as bones. They, they don't know how to pray or don't want to pray or, or they're afraid to pray or they, or they can't think because of something else. I don't, I don't know what the problem is. Only God knows that, but it's a problem. When you come to pray, when you don't feel like praying, all we can advise you to do is just keep on praying anyway until you know how to pray and until the spirit of prayer does come because without breaking through you'll never make it you can never so it takes holy ghost conviction and if you feel holy ghost conviction don't shut your heart to that and leave it now it might never come again it's entirely possible you could hear the call of god for the last time in one of a, me a meeting just like this it could be that you'd hear the call and feel the Spirit urging you. And if you close your ears to it and shut the door of your heart and resist it, the call may have to go to someone else. Time runs out and the wedding feast must be furnished with guests. God must call someone. He'd go out and get the good and the bad. Whoever, whoever will come finally will have their chance to come. I don't want to miss my chance. Do you? No, we want to be among those who are called, who are chosen and who are faithful. That second chapter of Ephesians paints quite a picture for us. If you read that and you get home again. That's what Brother Green read this morning. Paints quite a picture. What we used to be, the Ephesians. You were dead in trespasses and sin. When the gospel was preached, it had no effect upon us. We could sit there and make no difference. We were dead in trespasses and sins. Sinning and liking it. Dead and couldn't help ourselves. Help ourselves. No way to save ourselves. No way to convict ourselves. No way to have any desire spring up in us wanting to do, to do what God wants to do. Oh, with our head we'd say, I ought to do better. That's the New Year's resolution type. You just say, yes, I should, and proceed not to do it. But God says, you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. So if you've been quickened, thank God for that. Thank God for that day that the Lord awakened you, where you felt like giving all to Him, like responding with everything you had, holding nothing back. Thank God for it. Will you stop at just being called? Would you dare stop at just being convicted? That's where many church people, church members stop, really. They just lop off this sin and that sin, and they're convicted. They try to quit doing this and try to quit doing that because they know it's wrong. And they live under conviction the rest of their lives. Unless they find the light and really become converted. They, they keep themselves and try hard and, and do quite well as far as the outside is concerned. But underneath it all, there's that yearning. There's something in you that God put there that cannot be satisfied by your own doings. You can't educate yourself. You can't polish yourself. You can't mend your ways and really be happy. You have to be right with God. You have to be converted and become a little child. No wonder the Lord said that. When the Lord spoke of the little children, he said, Let the little children come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. This teaches us that little children, if they're given the knowledge, just told about Jesus and his love for them, most of the time they, they just brighten up and sing and love it, 
and they want to pray, they want to love Jesus because the knowledge comes, and they aren't ruined by the ideas of men, yet they just have simple faith to believe it, and they, and they do respond. That's why Jesus said, forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. But he also said, unless ye be converted and become his little children, you never see the kingdom of heaven. God has said that. It's, the, it's just that plain. So God called us to choose us, and we're chosen to be among those who are converted and those who live for God, who love the Lord all the days of their life with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and their neighbors as themselves. High standard, a great privilege, but it's the gospel. That's the way it is. And to the degree that you fall away from that, to that degree you're falling away from what God wants you to do. God wants you to walk in that light. And the light is Jesus in harmony with him, his teaching, with every word he said. Yes, he's given us this privilege to be called and chosen. Have you chosen to be chosen? Will you choose today to let the Lord choose you? If you'll submit, yield, give your life to God, dedicate yourself to God, you'll know what it means then to have that veil of God's mercy, his blessing and his spirit to come upon you to give you a witness in your own heart that you've been born of God, born again, made anew. Don't stop short of that. Don't hope so and maybe so and guess so. Know that you are among those who are chosen, that the Lord has called you. You've understood it. You've responded by saying, yes, I will. You made up your mind. It's worth any cost. You said, I will do it, Lord. I'll leave the world behind me. Leave all of that behind. I'll serve you in righteousness all the days of my life. If you'll do that, then you'll be among those who are chosen. And God will drop that the witness upon your hearts that you know you're right with God. Where can you beat that? This is the most wonderful story man ever heard. That God in the flesh, in the form of Jesus Christ, his son, came reconciling men unto himself, reconciling men to God, giving us a chance to get back that was lost when Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden. We all have sinned. We've all been there. And we, we know the feeling. God called me in this building sitting here and three times in one day, morning and afternoon and night, on a Sunday, the first day of camp meeting, 1938. I came to pray in the morning, didn't really make the break, didn't really get through then, but that afternoon again, I prayed again. And that Sunday night, supposing that'd be my last night ever to be in Portland, Oregon, I came to this altar and prayed that simple prayer, and God helped me to span the gap some way by faith and say, yes, I will, I do, and I... Well, now, and the Lord, for Christ's sake, forgave me that night. I know. I know how you feel if you're outside of Christ, because I, I've been there. If you're sitting here this morning, I know how you feel. I have sat out there, too, in this very building. But the Lord lifted that night, and the Lord gave me new life, new hope, something I haven't doubted since then. Oh, Satan comes along to make you think, oh, well, you're not so good, or you're, you're a bad example, or you haven't, you haven't set the world on fire. A lot of these things I know all too well. But he hasn't told me I didn't get saved that night because I know it was real. The Spirit of God said it was real. God, God's on the giving hand today to give you victory. You want that? You must. When you come to a church house like this, you know before you came you're going to be exposed to something quite, quite straight. You wouldn't come in those doors out there without having some knowledge of what this is. You, if you didn't have any idea, you'd go somewhere else. But you've had some idea. Someone's told you. You've come a few times or you learned it or heard about it. So now you come to the place where you can know for yourself that you're right with God. Why don't you do it? We invite you to. You be the judge. 
You aren't joining our church when you come to this altar. We have a baptistry under this platform. We baptize people in water here by immersion. You aren't a member of our church when we baptize you there. That's we baptize you in obedience to the command of the Lord to believe and be baptized. It's a part of the gospel. We don't have any church membership. This is, we don't even have a church role to decide who's a member and who isn't, really. If you come around here and stay here all the time, we soon know who you are, of course, and we count you one of ours, and we, we keep your telephone number where we'll know where to find you and things like that. But the, the book is kept in heaven. God keeps that. And if your name's in the book of life, well, praise God, you are our brother or our sister. And if you love the gospel as we do, you'll stick around, perhaps, and, and enjoy it more and more. But if it's out, outside, outside for you now, you... You're on the outside looking in. Don't just stay there anymore. Come on inside. Come today. Come down the aisle and pray and prove that God can quicken you, make you anew in Christ, call you, and you can be one of the chosen ones before you leave today. Will you? We're going to stand and sing 165. The altar's open for prayer.